Hello, Campus Cronies. Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Turner, higher education professional and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. It's a heartbreaking tale that unfolded on a prestigious campus, changing lives forever. In August of 2016, Ithaca College student Anthony Nazaire embarked on what should have been a promising sophomore year as a business administration major. You see, Anthony's journey from a challenging neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York, to college was a testament to his determination. The first in his family to graduate high school and pursue higher education, Anthony aspired to make a mark in the world of finance, with dreams of one day even owning his own bank or starting his own bank. But as fate would have it, his aspirations were shattered during a seemingly innocent back-to-school party hosted by a fraternity at Cornell University. When the party was over and partygoers dispersed, the atmosphere took a dark turn, leading to a sudden and chaotic altercation. In a selfless act to protect a friend, Anthony found himself caught in the midst of the melee. Tragically, his attempt to save a life cost him his own. Anthony Nazaire was lethally stabbed, and despite efforts to save him, he succumbed to his injuries. Join me as we explore the life, dreams, and tragic end of this first-generation college student from the streets of Brooklyn. This episode is titled, Murder at an Ivy League. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey y'all, before I delve into the episode, I want to share something with you that has been weighing on me as a podcaster. And basically, I just want to give you a gentle reminder that these stories are not just headlines. They are real stories about real lives and real people. So as we explore the narrative in this episode and all my episodes, no matter what crime scale rating I give them, let's all remember the human impact behind every tragedy, every story that I share with you. Okay, so now let's get started. grew up in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, a neighborhood known for its high crime rate. In 2021, the demographics of East Flatbush comprised of a 78 comprised of a 78.1% black population compared to the remainder of the neighborhood at 4.4% white, 4.1% Hispanic, and 2.3% Asian. In 2022, the serious crime rate was reported to be 12.9 per 1,000 residents. And according to a 2022 article in the New York Times, 
Quote, as wider, more affluent areas rebound from the pandemic's ravages, renewed gun violence is complicating the recovery of vulnerable places like East Flatbush, a middle-class black enclave with deep ties to the Caribbean, end quote. The article went on to describe how prior to the pandemic, East Flatbush was actually making strides to decrease its crime rate, but COVID-19 completely reversed those efforts and only exacerbated the crime in East Flatbush. The article from 2022 also said, quote, murders last year reached their highest level in a decade and at least 103 people have been killed so far this year, end quote. But despite growing up in a neighborhood with such alarming statistics, Anthony Nazaire was determined and driven to do better than the neighborhood he grew up in, and college was his ticket out. Anthony grew up on Newkirk Avenue in East Flatbush with his mom, Katia Toussaint, and his older sister, Kayara Nazaire. Anthony's parents divorced when he was a young boy, but he and his sister remained close with their father, Reginald Nazaire, as well as their younger half-siblings, Joshua, Marvins, and Taylor. Anthony attended Brooklyn Theater Arts High School, and he was so brilliant and performed so well academically that he earned himself a full-ride scholarship to Ithaca College, which is a private four-year university that costs an average of $34,000 a year to attend. Ithaca is home to both Ithaca College and the prestigious Cornell University, an Ivy League institution, so you can probably imagine how quaint and pristine and safe a town like Ithaca would be. Actually, according to the reporting of Samantha Schmidt for the New York Times, Ithaca, New York has been ranked one of the safest small towns in the country, with a population of less than 150,000 people. So when Anthony found out he was not only accepted to attend college there, but that he was also getting a scholarship that would cover the whole thing, well, naturally, it was a more than welcomed change for Anthony. During his freshman year of college, Anthony flourished. He made a name for himself in the business administration program on campus, and he also joined the group Brothers for Brothers, as well as like the executive board of that group, which is an organization for men of color to meet and discuss political, social, communal, and academic topics and concerns. In August of 2016, Anthony had just returned to Ithaca from Brooklyn to begin a sophomore year as a business administration major. Days later, on Saturday, August 27th, Anthony texted his mother earlier in the day. He texted her silly photos and told her he was planning to attend a frat party at Cornell later that night to celebrate the end of the first week of classes. But completely keeping his priorities straight, he made sure to tell his mom that it was quote-unquote his first and last party of the year that he would be going to. Recalling these texts with her son, Katia told the New York Post, quote, I said, okay, go enjoy yourself. Make sure you come home early. He said, you know I'm coming home early. I don't stay out. And he never came back, end quote. Yes, you heard that right. Anthony, along with his best friend, Raheem Williams, attended a party that night at Cornell University, which was sponsored by the Delta Mu chapter of the Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. According to CBS News, the party took place in Willard Strait Hall as part of a series of back-to-school events hosted under the umbrella of the Black Students United group. That night, as Anthony and Raheem were leaving the party, they both found themselves in the middle of a random altercation, and they were both stabbed in the crossfire. 
At the time, the Daily Mail reported that it was completely unknown why or how Anthony or Raheem were involved or even what started the melee in the first place, but it was reported that several people were involved and it was a large fight. But all anyone knew for sure was that it was incredibly uncommon for any such thing to happen in Ithaca, let alone on the campus of an Ivy League school. The Daily Mail reported that police were called to Olin Hall, the chemical engineering building at Cornell University, around 2 a.m. on Sunday, August 28, 2016. When police arrived, they found two college students, Anthony and Rahim, lying on the ground. They immediately began life-saving efforts and medical treatment at the scene. According to the New York Post, Rahim was airlifted to the Upstate University Medical Center, where he was treated for multiple non-life-threatening stab wounds and later released. Anthony, however, was not as lucky. He was declared deceased at the Cayuga Medical Center after first responders were unable to revive him at the scene. All Anthony's family knew, though, was that it was not common for Anthony to be involved in anything that reflected violence. That just wasn't in his character. Anthony's mom, Katia, explained to the New York Post all she knew at the time. She said there was some sort of simple altercation that escalated suddenly and quickly with little to no explanation. She said, quote, it was a simple bump on the street. They apologized, but the female did not accept the apology. From what I heard, none of the kids who started the fight are from the college, end quote. Naturally, upon hearing the news that her only son didn't survive, Katia was inconsolable. She explained to the New York Post, quote, You take your kid out of neighborhood and you do your best to send him to a good, proper college to make something out of himself, and he comes back in a body bag? End quote. After the altercation, the Ithaca Police Department immediately began leading a team of several local law enforcement agencies to figure out just what exactly occurred that night. But as you can imagine, they had their work cut out for them. There were hundreds of potential witnesses, and they needed to speak with each and every one of them if they could, as well as collect as many videos and photos as possible from all the party attendees, in addition to processing the scene for any and all potential evidence. As they were conducting their investigation, Anthony's family and friends were beside themselves in mourning. Anthony's older sister, Kayara, told the New York Post that the death of her brother was completely devastating to not only her, but also to her eight-year-old son, who idolized his uncle, Anthony. But Kayara said she did find some solace by honoring his many accomplishments. She said, quote, I think that's the only time I don't cry, when I'm talking about all the good things he did, end quote. But as far as the person who took her brother's life, she said, quote, I will never forgive that person. He doesn't know what he took away from us. He didn't take away a bum. He didn't take away a thug. He didn't take away someone who didn't have goals or didn't accomplish something in his life. He took away a great man. He took away an ambitious person. He took away a best friend, a son, a boyfriend, an uncle. He took away someone that even strangers open up their arms to him, end quote. And Anthony's cousin, Chanel Nazaire, posted to Facebook saying, quote, I can't even express how hurt I am about the pain that this person has caused my family. To endure this is unbelievable. This is a 19-year-old, educated, well-mannered young man, full scholarship to a great college, aspiring to gain his bachelor's in business. How could you rob him of his life? How could you do this to us? End quote. On Monday, August 29, 2016, 
Ithaca College held a community-wide memorial as hundreds of friends, family, students, and staff gathered inside and out of the Moeller Chapel on the Ithaca College campus to remember Anthony Nazaire and all that he was. According to the reporting of Kayla Dreyer for the Ithacan, Ithaca College's student newspaper, several professors and college leaders spoke at the memorial, which was held on a particularly sunny day. William Tassel, a professor in the Department of Management, said, quote, as I look out, I see that ray of sunshine. Anthony was more than that ray of sunshine. He was the whole thing, end quote. Sean Reed, the dean of the School of Business, recalled how driven and motivated Anthony was as a student. Reed discussed how Anthony wanted to go on and earn his MBA, become an entrepreneur, and perhaps consider law school. Reed recalled how Anthony would not settle for anything less than excellence. He said, quote, everyone in this room has a different definition of what success was, but Anthony had a plan. Everything he did, he did full tilt, end quote. Anthony was most remembered for his steadfast work ethic, his compassion, and his big, bright smile. The president of Ithaca College at the time also spoke at the memorial. President Tom Rokon said, quote, We will find ways to take care of each other. Please work with me on this. Let me work with you on this. It will be a better community for all of us, and we will do it for Anthony, end quote. And in October of 2016, just a couple months after his death, the alumni of Ithaca College did exactly what the president called upon. They created a scholarship in Anthony's memory. According to the Ithaca Voice, the scholarship is called the Anthony Nazaire 19 Endowed Scholarship. It's awarded to outstanding African-American, Latino, Asian-American, or Native American students in the School of Business who demonstrate service, leadership, or achievement and are in financial need. Okay, so now that we know more about Anthony and exactly who this young man with a promising and bright future was, let's circle back around to the investigation of his murder and the timeline that followed. So in the days following the murder, Anthony's mother, Katya, had a lot more questions than answers, and she was in complete shock that it would occur on an Ivy League campus. For starters, Cornell University administration failed to reach out to her or her family. Katya explained to the New York Post, quote, Cornell has been a private college charging so much money and something like this happens on your premises and you don't even have the decency to call and say, I'm sorry. You don't even have security on your premises at the party. You don't ask for ID. It's like saying, there's a war out there. Let's see if you can survive, end quote. However, Anthony's family did understand that the Ithaca Police Department and other law enforcement agencies were doing everything they could to solve the crime and figure out who exactly killed their loved one. Kayara Nazaire told CBS News, quote, I know the cops are going to do everything they have to do to make sure Anthony is at peace. We know justice is going to be served, end quote. A little over two months later, on November 7, 2016, the Ithaca Police Department held a press conference to announce an official arrest in connection to the murder of Anthony Nazaire. At the press conference, Chief of Police John Barber addressed the crowd and read a brief statement. So I would like to read that statement to you here. Chief Barber said, quote, About nine weeks ago, on August 28, 2016, at approximately 1.57 in the morning, officers from the Ithaca Police Department and the Cornell University Police Department responded to a large fight at the intersection of College Avenue and Campus Road. Upon arrival, officers located two male victims suffering from stab wounds. 
One victim was flown to Upstate Medical Center for treatment of several stab wounds and was later released. The second victim, Anthony Nazaire, a 19-year-old Ithaca College School of Business Administration student, was transported to Cayuga Medical Center where he was pronounced dead from his injuries. The IPD immediately launched a homicide investigation with the assistance of the New York State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigations, New York State Police Forensics Identifications Unit, the Cornell Police, the Tompkins County Sheriff's Department, the Ithaca College Office of Public Safety, the TC3 Police, and the Tompkins County District Attorney's Office all assisted. The intensive investigation consisted of tracking down hundreds of leads, which allowed us to develop the suspect. The investigation culminated this afternoon with the arrest of 23-year-old Najee Green of Freeville, New York. Green was taken into custody without incident at 1.34 p.m. in the area of the 1600 block of Dryden Road in Freeville. He was there waiting for a bus. Najee Green, the defendant in this case, will be charged with the following penal law crimes. He will be charged with one count of murder in the second degree, which is a Class A1 felony. He will be charged with one count of assault in the second degree, which is a Class D felony. The next step in the process is to move the case to the grand jury for further proceedings on the next available date, which will be November 10th. I would like to personally thank the members of our community who came forward and assisted us as we investigated this heinous crime. Again, I would like to thank my officers and the police personnel from the agencies you see here who worked tirelessly to solve this case and bring the defendant before the court. This act of unspeakable violence has no place here in Ithaca and is not representative of the community we are here in Ithaca. To the Nazaire family, I again offer my sincere condolences from all the area law enforcement agencies and from the entire Ithaca community for this tragic and senseless murder of Anthony who by all accounts was an amazing young man with such a bright future, end quote. At the press conference, Mayor of Ithaca, Savante Myrick, said Anthony's death was the first homicide they had experienced in Ithaca in over five years. It's also important to point out that law enforcement, and particularly the DA who was trying the case, were pretty tight-lipped about any evidence they had collected, even at the press conference when they announced Green's arrest. During the press conference, the acting district attorney, Matthew Van Houten or Houghton, said, quote, As district attorney, I am not one to talk about the evidence. I wait until the trial for that information to come out. I'm not going to speak about that too much here tonight, end quote. However, Chief Barber did open the floor to questions and attempted to answer them as best as he could, you know, without revealing the evidence or jeopardizing their investigation. He explained that they were still sorting through the details of exactly how Green and Anthony knew each other, if they were acquainted at all, but he did make it clear that Green was not a student at Ithaca College or Cornell University. He also said that they received a number of leads that helped them identify Green as a suspect. Regarding how long it took law enforcement to make an official arrest, Barber said, quote, well, this isn't like TV where you can watch an episode and, you know, you see the crime and the conclusion all within a one-hour period. It takes time to gather evidence and put together a good, solid case that you can bring before the court. And, you know, that's what we've done here. I don't think any amount of time is too much time as long as we're able to bring the person responsible to justice and let the court take it from there, end quote. Barber went on to say that he could not speak directly to motive, as that was part of the evidence to be revealed at the trial. He also said that it took, quote, a lot of prodding to get people to come forth with video that we are seeking, and again, it was dark at night. It just took time to put it all together, end quote. 
However, during the press conference, Chief Barber also said that they believed there was still more video out there and that they would continue to ask witnesses to come forward as they moved closer to the trial date. The next update in the case came on November 17, 2016, when Najee Green was indicted and one additional charge of manslaughter was added to the original second-degree murder and assault charges. According to an article in the Ithacan, court documents revealed that Green allegedly admitted to police that he stabbed Anthony and Rahim. According to court documents, Green confessed to police when he was interviewed for over three hours after his arrest. However, Green pleaded not guilty to all the charges. His defense attorney, Lance Salisbury, who was also the director of the criminal defense trial clinic at Cornell University, said Green expressed to him his innocence and adamantly denied murdering or stabbing anyone. Regardless, police alleged in court documents that Green possessed a large black folding knife, which he used to stab Anthony in the chest. Anthony died then after severing a stab wound to his upper left chest area. Rahim was allegedly stabbed repeatedly in the back, which resulted in, quote, stab wounds requiring hospitalization and lasting substantial pain and suffering, end quote. After this announcement in the case, Anthony's sister, Kayara, said the family wanted to see Green receive a life sentence for taking Anthony's life. She said, quote, it's because he took away an amazing person. He needs to be in jail. That way he doesn't take away another amazing person. We cannot allow him to hurt another family like he's hurt ours, end quote. The trial for Najee Green started on June 4th, 2017 in Tompkins County Court. During the trial, the prosecution called 17 different witnesses to the stand to testify about what they saw the night Anthony was killed. According to those witnesses, Anthony accidentally bumped into a woman outside of the party, which started the whole altercation. One Ithaca College student took the stand and recalled how he faced off against Green during the fight. That student, Daniel Nunez, said he and Green exchanged punches, at which point he noticed a knife in Green's right hand. Nunes testified that he barely avoided being struck by the knife. Additionally, video was shown in court that revealed Green wielding a knife, but no video was presented that showed Green actually stabbing Anthony or Rahim. During the trial, the defense presented a solid case as well. The defense argued that the case should be dismissed on the grounds that the prosecution failed to show criminal intent and that it lacked evidence actually proving Green's guilt. For example, no DNA belonging to Green was found on the knife used to stab Anthony and Rahim. And although the prosecution showed video of Green's confession to the jury, the defense argued that investigators lied to Green during the interrogation and used quote-unquote mind games with Green by telling him that they had a video of him stabbing Anthony, even though they did not. According to court documents, Green consistently denied stabbing and killing either student during his interrogation. However, later in the video, Green said the stabbing could have been accidental if Anthony perhaps fell on the knife. Subsequently, Green then confessed to stabbing Anthony. A couple weeks later, on June 19, 2017, the jury came back with a guilty verdict on the second-degree charge of assault, which was in connection to the stabbing of Raheem Williams. However, the jury deadlocked on the second-degree murder charge in connection to Anthony Nazaire. So Green was issued a retrial for the murder, which began on September 20th, 2017. During the retrial, DA Matthew Van Houten asked the jury to use their common sense, arguing that the video evidence pointed to Green as the one and only killer. 
They showed the jury a video that recorded the beginning of the fight, which occurred at the intersection of College Avenue and Campus Road. In the video, Green allegedly yelled, quote unquote, I kill out here, while swiping the knife at another student at the scene. Van Houten argued that this showed Green's intent to kill. In another video shown to the jury, Anthony and his best friend Raheem can be seen at a dark corner at the intersection where Anthony was stabbed. The prosecution pointed out that one can see Green running toward Anthony and Raheem, but it was unclear whether or not Green engaged with him because the video ended at that moment. At the second trial, the defense continued to point to the fact that out of all the video footage available as evidence, not one video showed Green actually stabbing anyone. And out of the seven witnesses called to testify for the prosecution at the second trial, not one person could say they actually saw Green stab Anthony. Regardless, the jury deliberated for an entire day before they came back with a guilty verdict on September 28, 2017. They reached a unanimous decision on the charges of second-degree murder, a Class A1 felony. A little over a month later, Judge John C. Rowley delivered Green's sentence on November 6, 2017, where Green was given 20 years to life in prison. Now, normally, that would be the end, but there is more to this story. You see, the whole case, from beginning to end, from the moment Green was arrested to the day he was sentenced and beyond, well, it caused immense controversy among Green's supporters. There is a large amount of people who wholeheartedly believe that Green was and is an innocent man, so much so that they formed the Free Najee Green Committee to declare his innocence and demand justice. The committee's website lists five key points for why supporters believe Green's conviction should be vacated. And so I'll go through each one of those five points, so bear with me as I get through it. So first are the facts. According to the committee's website, there was zero DNA evidence linking Green to the stabbings, despite police claims of body-to-body contact that would have likely left some sort of blood or tissue transfers. Second, they claim a biased jury. Apparently, the website claims that the jury foreman for the second trial stated that he wasn't sure he could be unbiased because the DA, Van Houten, had worked for his family before. Despite his admission of essentially a conflict of interest, he was allowed to remain on the jury. Third, they argue police injustice. The committee believes that police coerced Green's confession, and they even include the 70-plus page transcript of the interrogation on the website. And I read through that, and I'll admit, it's an intense interrogation. At one point in the interrogation, according to the records on the website, an officer handed Green some water and told him that they put truth serum in it. Well, according to the website, who credits Business Insider, a truth serum refers to a psychoactive drug that may produce side effects that make people say something to please someone else that is not necessarily true. Now, I have no idea if they were if the police were actually referring to an actual truth serum or if it was just like a matter of expression. But according to the website, after drinking the water, allegedly, Green clearly became more compliant and began to go along with the police's theory that he could have had a confrontation with the victims and involuntarily committed the assaults and murder. 
So the fourth thing that they claim is prosecutorial injustice. Apparently, DA Van Houten changed the prosecution's story from the first trial to the second trial. At the first trial, the DA claimed that Green non-fatally stabbed Raheem first and then fatally stabbed Anthony second. Well, at the second trial, the DA claimed that Raheem fell on top of Green after Anthony had been stabbed. The reason the DA changed his story about the order of the stabbings was to support the theory that Anthony's DNA was supposedly masked by Raheem's DNA. Again, that's all according to the website. And then the fifth thing that the website points out is racial bias in the system. The website references a study that revealed African Americans are only 13% of the American population, but they represent the majority of innocent defendants who are wrongfully convicted of crimes and later exonerated. So these five primary concerns regarding Green's case led his defense to submit a motion to the court asking for Green's sentence to be vacated. On the committee's website, a description in the about section reads, quote, a group of concerned people in Tompkins County, New York, met with Najee's family and read the 128 pages of the motion to dismiss the judgment against Najee Green. After carefully reviewing the evidence of police lies and involuntary coerced confession, zero DNA evidence linking Najee to the victims, prosecution's bias and willingness to change their story to pin this high-profile case on someone, and jury bias, we became convinced that we should stand with Najee's family and Najee Green to demand that Judge John Rowley do the right thing and vacate the judgment against Najee. However, despite Green's fair amount of supporters, Green's appeal was denied on January 14, 2021. During the appeal, an appellate court judge acknowledged the lack of DNA evidence, as well as the fact that there was not a witness who actually saw the stabbing occur. However, the judge also said, quote, viewing the evidence in a neutral light and deferring to the jury's resolution of issues of credibility, we find that the verdict is not against the weight of the evidence, end quote. And I think it's critical to point out that Van Houten, the Tompkins County DA, said the Free Najee Green Committee's website does not fully tell the truth or present the facts correctly. He said, quote, When you are fed misinformation and led to believe that there's been a violation of someone's rights, you should protest. Unfortunately, in this particular case, the information that is being fed to those activists is false. That case was used for political purposes and for propaganda purposes, and it's incredibly disrespectful to Anthony Nazaire and his family, end quote. So to this day, Anthony's family believes that justice was served, as do law enforcement officials who handled the case. But Green's family, well, they are left devastated as they refuse to believe that he could be capable of such a crime. But no matter what camp you're in, it's just a sad situation regardless. And despite the story's ending, it's a very real situation that forever changed the lives of two families. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 62. Be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Chronicles on both Facebook and Instagram. Also, I am not kidding about those reviews, y'all. <laughs> I said in, I think, two episodes ago that, you know, I need more reviews. So in exchange for reviews, I'm going to pump out some more episodes. <laughs> so that is all still out there. I still promise to do that. So if I can hit 50 review or 150 reviews, I will post a new episode, 200, a new episode up until I get to 500. I think that's what I said. So y'all bring those reviews. Keep them coming. I think right now there's only like 
106. So y'all keep them coming. Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.